Ash. Hello there, and welcome to Magic by Design. We are reviewing Pixar's 21st animated feature, Toy Story 4, first released not so long ago in 2019 this week. But before we join Woody, Buzz, and the gang for one last adventure, allow me to introduce myself. My name is Ken, and I am joined, as always, by my co-host slash brother. He's Garrett. Gar, how are you? Ken, the whole thing I usually do introducing this podcast is I usually say a mean thing about you. And when you start the podcast calling yourself trash... But where can I go from there? You're you're stomping on my material. This was a strategic move on my part, Gar. Because not only is it a line from the movie, it also disarms you. Yes, it's the self-deprecation that doesn't allow me to call you trash or tell you to get in the bin. Yeah, the bin does sound nice sometimes, though. And warm and cozy. Yes, and No, it's squishy. usually gross and usually pretty slimy. And sometimes if you look at, at freaking Forky's face, you see the stains of the old food... <laughs> For whatever he was used to be eaten. And it's kind of gross. Although I thought it was Bonnie putting like a a rouge on his cheeks. A blush effect. Yeah. No, I think it is food stains to be practically read as blush effects. Oh, I see. Mm. That actually probably makes more sense. So he's probably used to eat some kind of pasta or a soup. And those stains remain on his face forever. Why did they give them to children then? I don't know, so they could eat their food. How do you think kids eat, Ken? Do you think they just slop their face into things? Then kids need cutlery too. I suppose so. Or maybe it was the teachers, you don't know that. Sporks are quite accessible for children as well, because they have multifunction. And they can do minimal stabbing. True. Not no stabbing. You can stab somebody with a spork, but you won't do a ton of damage. You might break the skin though. Yeah, you might draw blood with a spork. I think if you stab somebody with a spork, you could draw blood. Which is, I think, our new podcast. It's like... Does it draw blood? You see, both of my major long-term wounds on both of my hands. I was stabbed on my left hand by, um, was that Ronan? Yeah, Ronan Doyle stabbed me with a, a black pen. And you can still see the mark of the pen. Like, you, it's still like the ink is embedded. It's almost like a tattoo I was stabbed so hard. The ink has been embedded in my skin. And that was in, like, first year of secondary school. So th- that is now 16 years ago. Good God. I'm so old. Anyway, um, 16 years ago I stabbed. Still, you can see the the ink of that pen mark. And on my right hand, Luke Kern stabbed me with a colouring pencil in, I want to say, first or second class. And that's still there to this day. So, kids, you don't want to give them things you can stab each other with, I think is the lesson there. Kids are kind of stabby, okay. I yeah. don't think you could give me a permanent scar with a spork, is what I'm saying. Do you have well, any permanent scars, Ken? I have one, uh, you can't see it because of my beard, but there's one here on my upper lip. From what? Dunno. It might be a birthmark, but it's, mm. it's been there for a long time. I remember I tripped in the driveway once, and I did have a, a scar on my knee for like the longest of times, until it, it did actually finally heal. Anyway, we're not here to talk about wounds. Yeah, violent wounds inflicted in school by people around you with things that are sharper than they should be. We're here to talk about Toy Story 4. I remember there was a lot of resistance to this as a sequel, as many thought the third film tied up the series perfectly and further entries in the canon weren't necessary. Guess what? You were wrong. I must admit that I was somewhat in this camp, but my stance was softened as I watched the shorts that were released between Toy Story 3 and 4. For me, I like to think of the original trilogy as separate and Toy Story 4 as more of an epilogue. No, this is a sequel. What I mean is, the initial story with Andy is wrapped up, and we're seeing some of the resolution of the other arcs throughout the series. No, this is still a Woody movie. They're all Woody movies. Which is actually, is an interesting choice, that they're not like, this isn't a Buzz movie. Again, 
Buzz is sidelined. For the third movie running, Buzz has been sidelined. Nearly all the other characters are sidelined, actually. Yeah, because they, they've realised that Woody is the core of this in, on like a functional plot level and on an emotional level. So they just keep making Woody movies. And guess what? It works. So who am I to question them for being like, there's no emotional depth in Jesse anymore. We, we milked all that out in Toy Story 2. It was real good then. But we, we, we don't really have anything left for Jesse to do other than some plot mechanics here and there. So we'll put Jesse to the side. We'll put Mrs. Potato Head to the side. She's only in the film for like a great, great visual gag of when Buzz is sitting on the top of the RV communicating with them and using Mrs. Potato Head's ear as a walkie-talkie. <laughs> Yes. So he speaks into the ear and then she relays his message. Very good bit. They've done that before though with the eyes. Yeah, so it's it's a play on the eyes thing, but with ears. But using the ears as a walkie-talkie, very funny to me. That amused me a great deal. And like Rex does nothing. Slinky is only like practical in the movie at the very start in a flashback. Yeah. He's used the way he always is to stretch places. Mm. So like all of these characters are sidelined because they understand the emotional depth of Toy Story is and has always been Woody and they further explore his story and to be fair like the, the overall message of this movie the overall like story and theme is purpose and Woody is struggling with his purpose again because Bonnie has moved on from him. Actually one of my favourite touches in the entire movie like Woody's missing for this whole movie you know? Yeah. Woody and Forky are missing she only notices Forky. Yeah, I, I noted that as well. And it's never like Woody has the moments like, she never realised I was gone. That's never like a realisation Woody has. But it's a nice little touch in the movie that's like, she never realises he was gone. I think it also helps us to accept the ending as well, because we know that Bonnie doesn't need Woody anymore. But yeah, all the, all the other characters are also finding purpose. It's the same with Forky, who has an existential crisis the moment he exists. It's like, I'm trash. You have Ducky... Ducky? Ducky and yeah, Bunny. Yeah, Ducky and Bunny, uh, who also need to find purpose because they're just uh, the freaking amusement park prizes that need to find a home. Obviously, Gabby Gabby is the big one that needs to find purpose because she was broken coming out of the box and never had the home that she thinks she should have. And the home that like her manual teases her with, like the accompanying book that comes with Gabby Gabby that shows the life she could be having but doesn't because she was defective. All those things run through the film and obviously they inform Woody's sense of purpose that once again, the child he's looking at after and Charlie has the mind doesn't need him anymore again and he's trying to force himself on her in not in an uncomfortable way but in a I'm desperately trying to help you in order to find purpose kind of way yeah he doesn't accept that the cycle has run its course again I think he's disillusioned because obviously he had a lot of years with Andy and it's a shortened timeline this time mm. but I think it's natural because as she becomes older Maybe it's society, but she's more inclined to pick toys of her own gender. And she, she's a weird kid. And she goes through phases, I think. Yeah, she, just, she prefers the cowgirl to the cowboy. She doesn't need both. It's impractical. You only need one cow, cow-related. Cow person. <laughs> yes, action figures. They're not really action figures. I guess they're dolls. But you only need one, and she's the sheriff, not Woody. So I, I wonder every time that she come back to her toys, it's like, how did the sheriff badge get back on Woody? Exactly. I'd like just once for them to go, that's not where I left these toys. What's happening? But you know what? Like, for the entirety of the Toy Story series, the toys have remained out of sight. You know, it's been the entire thing. The only person who's ever, like, seen the toys move is Sid. And everybody else, the toys, have always been like immobile no one knows they're alive and they use that for the best gag in this movie which is when Buzz is trying to desperately get them to go back to the antique store and um, Bonnie forgets that like she doesn't even remember that she lost her, her backpack there and Buzz is like what do I do what do I do what do I do and he just says your backpack is in the antique store let's go <laughs> it's like ah it's so good 
Because <laughs> it breaks the convention of the entire series. And, like, they protected it for, for four movies. They protected that, that the toys never, ever, like, are seen. Or by, interfere. Or they don't interfere. They're just lifeless things until the humans are out of sight. And then they build to that one joke where, like, finally Buzz breaks that fourth wall. And it's exceptionally funny. Toy Story 4 is directed by Josh Cooley in his directorial debut. He nailed it, didn't he? Yeah, he did, having previously worked on a screenplay for Inside Out, so he had a pedigree there. Mm. This marks the first time that someone outside of Pixar's original Big Four of John Lasseter, Andrew Stanton, Pete Docter, and Lee Unkrich directed a Toy Story film. I was going to say t- Pixar film, but a lot of like Brad, Brad Bird's one of the outsiders who has come in to direct many Pixar movies, so... There you go. New talent. The next generation, Ken. Unkrich, who had directed Toy Story 3, said in 2010 upon the film's release that there were no further plans to make any more Toy Story films. Yeah, but then Disney were like, hey, all of these make a billion dollars, so make another one. As rumours swirled in the years after the third film, Disney officially announced Toy Story 4 during an investor call. The best place again. That's where everybody wants to hear about their big movie reveals. Telling it to investors so they don't sell the stock. In November 2014, then-studio head of Pixar Pixar John Lasseter, who directed the first two films and executive produced the third, was scheduled to direct after writing a film treatment with Andrew Stanton, with input from Doctor and Uncrich. Of course, he was then ousted from Pixar. Mm, he still gets a credit, though. He does? Because he worked on the movie. Lasseter explained that Pixar decided to produce the sequel because of their pure passion, quote, for the series. Or, again, this film can... Made a billion dollars. Yes, I was about to get to that. He felt that Toy Story 3 ended Woody and Buzz's story with Andy so perfectly that for a long time, Pixar never even talked about doing another Toy Story movie. But then, Andrew, Pete and Lee and I came up with this new idea, which I couldn't stop thinking about. Yeah, because Disney said make another one. The investors are like, hey, Toy Story, that's a very valuable intellectual property. Why aren't we making another one? But at least they didn't cars it, Ken. They made one that's just as good as the other ones. It is remarkable how this movie is just as good as the other ones. Yeah. For me, I think the pinnacle of the series is still the second one. Mm. And I think the third one is the perfect end to that original trilogy. But this is a very worthy and equal sequel. That's actually rhyming. Oh, there you go. You're a wordsmith. But yeah, you know, the first Toy Story film is a film about, you know, it's a lovely, wonderful world where your toys come to life. The second film is about, like, accepting loss and abandonment with Jesse and uh, trying to find new homes in your life. The third one is, like, letting go of the past, embracing change as, you know, both Andy moves on to college and the toys need to move on to another family. And of course, the fourth Toy Story film is about being obsolete trash and overcoming that because you belong in the garbage. These are the deep, important stories they need to tell with these Toy Story movies. Toy Story 4 was released in June 2019. The film grossed 1.073 billion worldwide off an estimated budget of 200 million. Much like the previous installments in the series, Toy Story 4 received acclaim from critics and audiences alike, with particular praise for its story, humour, emotional weight, musical score, animation and vocal performances. So the whole shebang. Yeah, like this is, it's not them phoning it in. It's totally, it's like, it's just not. It's funny. Like, Toy Story is still the funniest Pixar property. Like, there's good jokes in this movie consistently. It's absolutely gorgeous. Like, we commented on how you can see the individual textures of the individual toys, but like, they take that to a whole new level in this movie where each toy does have their own, like, finely detailed textures and where Bo Peep is, like, fully reflective and you can see the reflection because he's porcelain. You can see the reflection at all times when there's, like, loose threads or stuff pulled out. All of that. It's Scuffs and scrapes. Or when they're going through the, like, the attic of the antique store and there's, like, just dust particles everywhere. This film is so nice to look at it's like insane even like the first shot is like just a house 
and uh, on a, a stormy night and you just see the reflection of the house and the rain on the road in front of the house and it's like oh you guys just coming out swinging aren't you this is the best example i think of them using that realistic environmental style but mixing it with you know the caricatures and the more stylized human being characters as you said i think this is true of all these films they really stepped it up in terms of showing us the age and where of these characters you can see their story in the scuffs and scrapes so like you can even see like if you look closely buzz on his helmet it's all scraped it's not perfectly clear anymore his buzz let your sticker is starting to come off yeah they're just worn they have seen the because like most of these toys are this is set nine years later so at nine years later from the gap between toy story two and three which is where the um the flashback sequence is somewhere so like these toys have, are at least like woody as we know goes all the way back to like the 50s or 60s or whatever we're not entirely sure of when woody's roundup was but that seemed like it, was, it seems to be like a relatively early television show and like yeah a lot of these toys are anywhere from 20 to 50 years old at this stage so you you do see that wear and tear the woody was fully repaired in toy story 2 of course yeah one thing i really wanted to talk about as well you touched on it the treatment of light in this film reflections on surfaces you know they're walking down the highway at one point woody and forky and the way the the light bounces off the wet asphalt it's Mm. just it's just insanely detailed and i really like how they use it as a storytelling motif as well so you might remember the reflection of bo peeps lamp triggering a memory for woody so we see at the start of the movie he goes into the room and we see the reflection of the lamp he sees that in the antique store and it he's about to walk away but it triggers the memory and he goes back yeah, he, he doesn't even see the lamp he's like looking in the opposite direction of the antique store and just on the footpath in front of it he sees or sidewalk if you're american he just sees the lamp pattern on the road there in front of him and he's like by god it's my bo peep but like one of my favorite parts of the movie and i think it adds to the emotion of the end and makes me a bit nostalgic is the lighting of the carnival is so romantic and warm mm. It just it just pulls you in. And it pushes Woody and Bo Peep together to finally be their happy ever after couple. Yeah, so I think this is a triumph. I mean, I think one of the main things that I remember walking out of the cinema the first time was, I cannot believe how gorgeous this film is. I was actually distracted from the plot by how beautiful it was at times. It is just an exceptional looking film. It's so, so pleasant to look at. And like this film is the pillar of 3D animation. You know, without the original Toy Story, not that 3D animation wouldn't exist, but it wouldn't have like been popularized as, as a medium as fast as it was without the success of the original Toy Story. And to see them just coming out, swinging in their fourth entry with a film that is as good looking as any 3D animated film you've ever seen is just remarkable that this series can still do that. And it, like, it's not like they changed the way Woody looks. You know, if you watch Toy Story 1 and then go straight, straight to Toy Story 4, you will notice like the obvious difference in fidelity but it's still true and faithful to like what Toy Story used to be and like actually my favorite illustration of that is at the very start of the movie when they're in that dark and cloudy night and they're showing the clouds which are like much more detailed fancy Pixar clouds and then they pan up above to the Toy Story logo with like the more like cartoonish old school clouds it's like there's the past and the future kind of coming together everything in this film looks great but the ventriloquist dummies are the stuff of nightmares yeah and they're meant to be they're terrifying looking especially the way they move they're like you know what toy story 5 should be about what those dummies yeah because now because this is obviously a series about purpose and those dummies they were gabby gabby's personal security gabby gabby has moved on she's found her new kid what do the dummies do 
nobody wants a ventriloquist dummy anymore either. No, they're creepy. So yeah, that's what Toy Story 5 should be about. It should be about those ventriloquist dummies finding their purpose. Moving on here to the story guard. The film's plot tackles the question of what happens to Bo Peep. In fairness, we have criticised other Pixar sequels and sequels in general for answering questions we didn't need answers to. This was one of those questions that I did legitimately find myself asking and I did want an answer, especially considering her relationship with Woody. Yeah, because she's a, a very important character in Toy Story 1. She's more of a background player in Toy Story 2. And then she's just gone. She's like Woody's romantic interest. And she's just gone by Toy Story 3. And there is a line in Toy Story 3 that like, you know, when they're standing in the bedroom by themselves, they're like, oh, we lost them along the way. And we, we don't know what happened to them. We don't know where they've gone. There's some, and the army rangers are like, we're moving out, Woody. Time to move on. Before we go in the trash bag, yeah. So yeah, like, it, it's not totally ignored, but they're never like, well, where did Bo Peep go? This is Woody's love interest. Exactly. These are the questions we did ask and they have actually given us answers to. It's the opposite of Cars. And I think this film in general, like, when you see the toys do things in this film, they do it as toys would. Like, in that flashback sequence, just the way they open a window where the sheep go down and pull up the blinds and then Jessie goes up on top to open the latch and then they push the window open and Bo Peep kind of props it open using her cane. Like, all of that stuff. It's like, oh, they show you how the toys operate within this world in a way they never did with Cars, in a way that was really annoying about Cars. That's just like, they're just cars where the buildings come from don't worry about it whereas everything the toys do you see them do you see them do it as toys which it's that pixar attention to detail that for some reason didn't exist in some other movies but they're back here in spades we also see the final resolution of Woody's arc throughout the four films, where he struggles with the internal dilemma of his sense of duty towards his kid, but also wanting more. And like, there's the sense of duty toward your kid when your kid doesn't need your sense of duty anymore, which is like a, a very difficult question to tackle. It's a very emotional, like existential, purpose-filled question that you he's like, well, what do I do? This is what I do, and the kid doesn't need it anymore. What do I do? I think Woody has never known anything else in all his 60 plus years of existence, 70 years of existence. So, And I think they do a remarkable job throughout the series of balancing the fact that Woody is at his core quite selfish. You know, he always is trying to fulfill his goals, his duties, his responsibilities, looking to find his purpose. But I find they really do a good job of balancing that with his sense of care and sense of duty toward those around him. That, like, he will not leave a toy behind. He will go and bravely put himself in danger to save anybody who is also in danger or kidnapped or whatever. Like, he will jump out the window to save Orsi. He like, Ham makes a funny joke about it. It's like, what would Woody do? It's like, Ham pipes up going jump out of a moving vehicle <laughs> yeah it's a good bit but like because Woody is so like innately selfish throughout all of these movies all of these movies are about Woody trying to find his role in the world as it constantly shifts and changes underneath his feet I think they do a very good job of, of making Woody selfless when it comes to everybody around him I do think one of the better parts of the story in this film though is I think he's definitively confronted with that selfishness though mm. to a point where the penny kind of drops for the first time and like that's the end of the movie the end of the movie is, well, maybe I can just do something for me. I don't have to look after all these toys. As Buzz said, she'll be okay. And what he thinks he's talking about, Bo Peep, and it's like, no, Bonnie will be okay. We'll look after her. Go do something for you. You've been with Andy for 20 years. You've been with Bonnie for however long. They don't specifically say, probably a couple of years. Uh, because Bonnie doesn't seem much older than she was. She seems like three when she was in Toy Story. She's going to kindergarten now, so, so she's, she's four, four or five. Yeah, so <laughs> she's maybe a year or two older tops compared to where she was in Toy Story 3. So, like, Woody has been doing this for two decades, and it's like, finally the penny drops. It's like, 
Just do something for you, man. You can you can indulge that selfishness. You you should not define yourself by how you help other people. Sometimes you just gotta help yourself there, Woody. And find your own purpose. And the odd thing is that he finds that truth through Brophy, but also through the character of Forky. Mm. Played here by Tony Hale from Arrested Development fame. Initially when I saw Forky in trailers, I was like, nope, not for me. Mm. But he has a really good role in this film, not just as comic relief because he has some gems of lions. But as I said, he helps Woody to understand that there's life beyond your duty to a kid. Like Woody here imposes his values on Forky when being a toy is not authentic to who he is and it's not what he's made for. And I think Forky eventually finds a happy balance because he does get that he is Bonnie's trash, quote. Mm -hmm. But that helps Woody to figure out that there are other purposes in life. You can't just blindly follow one. Yeah, but Forky eventually realizes that Bonnie is his trash can. Yeah. <laughs> and that's the way life works. But yeah, and he, like Woody sees himself through Forky and realizes that Forky is basically playing the role to Bonnie that he played to Andy. But Forky doesn't want to play that role. But, and Forky, frankly, doesn't understand that role. So Woody's like, he's still fixing everything. He's fixing everybody's world. Yeah, yeah I like Forky. One, as you mentioned, very good vocal performance from Tony Hale. Very, very, very good. All of the line delivery is good stuff. Because again, there is a, a, a version of this film where Forky is unbearable, and that is not this film. And there's a potential sequel where Forky is unbearable, and that is also not this film. And it's interesting, they always make the shorts after the movie based on characters like this. It's always a Mayher short, or a Forky short. Forky has his own series on Disney+, Plus. it was one of the original titles. And like, I'm not going to watch it. It's like, this film has just the right amount of Forky. I don't want any more Forky. And I think the, the character Forky is very funny, and surprisingly emotionally deep for what is a spork given legs <laughs> even the way forky moves it's very like when when woody's dragging him along the road when they're going to the rv camp he like waddles and then falls in his face and he's being dragged and he waddles a bit and he falls in his but face he has again. no dexterity yeah. very like very faithful to what a toy like that would move like because he doesn't have any range of motion we have a lot of other new characters here as well Gar, as you mentioned ducky bunny duke kaboom and giggles mcdimples giggles mcdimples good name I think all of them, they all add something to the story. They're part of, they're the new gang to stand in for the original gang in the first two films. The new toys that can be sold. Yeah, exactly. Well, there's a cynical element there as well. But I I do like all of them. They add great comedy. I really like Duke Kaboom's little arc, overcoming his insecurities to finally land a big jump. The sequence where he explains why his kid dumped him is also fantastic. Yeah, because everyone can relate with that. You know, you see the the Hot Wheels ads where they go through the loop-to-loops and you set it up and it just falls over and you're like, this toy sucks! Yeah, and then he, uh, Rajon dumps him. (laughs) I really love that whole thing because he's from Canada, so he's like, Rajon dumped me. He's like, I was really excited when he unboxed me on Boxing Day. Yeah. Because, like, we would would call it St. Stephen's Day, but in Canada and the UK they call it Boxing Day. In the Commonwealth countries, the countries of the Queen, it is the the Boxing Day. Yeah, so... I think as well. I think while I do accept that they make new toys for a reason, they are there to sell a, a, a new wave of toys. Mm-hmm. I think they all play their part, and again, there's just the right amount of each of them. And like the other new toy, the other big one is Gabby Gabby. Yes, I'm about to get onto that. Who is the villain? Toy Story. Great villains. Yeah. Like you got Sid. You got what's his name? Kelsey Grammer, Prospector. You got Stinky Pete. Yes. You got Lotso, and you got Gabby Gabby. Great. Great, great villains, especially the arc that Gabby has in this movie. If you think about it, she's a de facto villain. She turns out more or less to not be a villain in the end. In fact, she goes full circle in in the film. And if you look at all these villains in Toy Story, 
I think there's an element to them that's a through line. I think they're misunderstood. And, you know, if we look at them, they seem evil. But at the core of their motivations are wanting to be loved and feeling disillusioned of being cast aside. A Sid, that might be a bit of a reach, but you, you do get the sense that he's reaching for something. Sid is just a psychopath. Yeah. Sid just wants to watch the world burn. But like the rest are basically woody, except they're going about finding that role in the world in like much more vicious and brutal ways depending on who you are because like prospector just wants to go to that museum and live his life happily in that museum that's the purpose he wants and woody ruins it for him yeah (laughs) there's like there's a version of that movie where freaking woody is the bad guy like if you they could probably do a remake of toy story 2 from the perspective of prospector who's just like oh thank god i finally reached the stage in my life where i can just sit on the shelf and be happy and be gawked at in a japanese museum and that we'll be happy at what's that this stupid cowboy wants to drag everything away and ruin it no (laughs) and from gabby's point of view woody has had his life he's Mm. had two kids he's had many good memories so she feels entitled to take his voice box which is quite sinister and to be honest woody getting his voice box torn out is the toy version of body horror yeah it's kind of cool especially like the mannequins are literally pulling it out of him yeah it really upset me for some reason possibly because i really like that sequence you mentioned earlier where he's restored in the second film i love Mm. it it's a really mindful sequence. But also, I really respected my toys as a kid and tried to keep them good. I carried on as an adult. I really hate when my stuff gets dinged up. So Until I smashed your Buzz Lightyear off the floor and yeah. broke it. <laughs> yeah, I had to repair it with um, not even a sellotape. Do you know those uh, labels that you can get? The sticky mm. labels? I used those. But yeah, I like to keep my things good. So that's possibly why that triggered me. So you see, you saw Woody having his voice box torn out and it's like, no! He's a, there, he's a, he's a collectible. There's a snake in whose boots? Whose boots? Actually, now that you mentioned that, Gar, him and Buzz both have new catchphrases that we've never heard before. Buzz has loads of them. And like it's it's a plot point, because Buzz's thing in this movie is that what he tells him about his inner voice, the idea of a conscience. And Buzz thinks that means the button on your chest that you press that tells you what to do. So it's like, there's a mission in outer space! And then he goes and does that, basically. It's like, you return to Star Command! And Buzz is driven by the voice in his literal head. The thing is, I think Buzz is a very uneven character throughout the series, but, mm. you know, as you said, he's been sidelined since the first one, but he seems even stupider in this film, but then <laughs> all of a sudden he'll snap back into being really insightful and deep and yeah. emp- empathetic, so it's really jarring, I think. Buzz is just, like, he's a plot device in these movies now. He's not really a character, even though he does have the best line in this movie, as mentioned, the line about, go get your backpack, great yeah, stuff. Love so, it. Like, he's, he's a comic relief plot device, and he's not really there to be, like, a deep, meaningful character, until Toy Story 5 where Buzz is leading the group of toys now and there's a whole new adventure there based on Buzz and we'll have to do a Buzz movie again pretending like he was an important character in the last two or three movies when he was thoroughly sidelined. There's one more note I have here Gareth. The callback when Woody is about to leave Bo Peep again is masterful Mm. so we see at the start of the film he contemplates going with Bo Peep and he has his hands on the box that she's in and then Andy comes out distraught looking for him and he, he can't leave Andy. And then he puts his hand on, I think it's the carousel. I, I can't remember what it is or the awning or whatever it is. And he gets a flashback, but he still decides to go through with it in any way. And then Buzz talks him around. But I thought that was a, a, a beautiful stroke. Yeah, it brings the movie full circle. It's that good Pixar storytelling. And like the Gabby Gabby arc, we didn't talk about her, her full baby face turn where it's like eventually like she just talks to Woody. She just talks She appeals to him and says, look, you know, she doesn't even apologize. It doesn't become that rote where she just explains why she's doing what she's doing. And Woody, as a person who likes to help people, 
helps her. Yeah, and fair enough, it's a trade. Like, it's still a little sinister. It's like voice box for Forky. Let's, yeah. n- let's not pretend like there's not some malice still there in Gabby Gabby. But then, like, you get the utterly heartbreaking moment where Gabby Gabby is rejected. Yeah. Where Gabby Gabby spends the entire time thinking this kid's the one, this kid who comes into the store, she's my kid. And if only I had my voice box, I could be able to call out to her and I'd be able to have my happy ever after moment. And she gets her voice box and she calls out to her and the kid is just like, eh. Harmony dumps her. Harmony, there's not much harmony there between Gabby Gabby and Harmony. Harmony's just like, nah, I don't want to lie, I don't like this toy. And there's just like, the utter heartbreak of that moment. Yeah, and and you mention it there, she does get redeemed, even though she holds Forky hostage to get what she wants. So there's still a bit of a sinister tinge to that, in that, you know, she could have shown good faith by releasing him first. Or like saying, look, you know what, keep your voice box, I'll release Forky, and then maybe Woody decides to do it anyway. But then she totally gaslights this child into bonding with her because like, she's like, oh, that's a distraught child. And then the child associates her being lost with the doll and then clings to the doll. So she even uses that to... No, that's a nice moment. Nope. She comforts the child in a moment of panic and, and that gives the child the confidence and the, the, the reassurance to go out and seek help. Don't you be like she's still manipulating people at the end of the movie. No, that's a very mean reading of Gabby Gabby there. In fairness, I was joking, but <laughs> it, it, there there is that reading there if you want to look for it. But... No, it's not. Don't be so mean to Gabby Gabby. Yeah, the moment... I. I love the moment of heartbreak because it again goes back to the idea of purpose. That you can live your whole life thinking there is a thing that you want. If just this one thing worked out for you, the rest of your life would be a smooth sailing. Everything would go your way. And that one thing finally does go her way. It turns out the one thing she wanted in life was not the thing that didn't want her. You know, that the kid didn't want her no matter how much she wanted the kid. And then she had to find a new purpose again. She had to be real, realize, God, I've been a real psychopath about everything for a very long time for a kid who, when given the opportunity to love me didn't even love me that's ugh, a little f***ed up isn't it she could have in fairness that could have solidified her as a villain she's like <laughs> i forget these kids I hate burn it down <laughs> burns down the antique store uh, suddenly all of the dummies start surrounding harmony it's like you will love me harmony and she just captures her like she did with forky but no she does the, the baby face turn she's a, a nice doll now and she finds her own home with that kid who she has helped to find, uh, to gain the confidence who to find her. she's gaslighted into. <laughs> no, no, I'm only joking. The music and score guard, needless to say, Randy Newman is back to score Toy Story 4. The film features the now customary reprise of You've Got a Friend in Me, as well as two new original songs written by Newman, I Won't Let You Throw Yourself Away, where it's basically the story of Forky trying to throw himself into the trash and Woody keeps pulling him out. And there's also the Ballad of the Lonesome Cowboy, which is performed by Chris Stapleton. I don't care how many times it's repeated, Gar. As soon as You've Got a Friend in Me strikes up at the beginning of the film, I get bleary-eyed. Such is my emotional connection to these stories. They could do a hundred of these films and it would still get me every time. I will say, we kind of buried Randy Newman for his Cars 3 soundtrack. Where, like, it's derivative, it's not very imaginative, it feels like he's digging up old ideas from other Pixar films. I think this is a great Randy Newman soundtrack. Yeah, it's a standard Randy Newman score with all the well-known Toy Story themes and beats, but why would you want anything else? 
But, like, there's more to that. Like, the Gabby Gabby theme, really good. Really, like, it's kind of heartbreaking. It's, like, there's a sorrowfulness to yeah, it. It's quite melancholic. Yeah, and, and then the music that plays as Woody makes the decision to, like, move away from his longtime family, move away from Buzz and Pals to go with Bo Peep and live a, a life of adventure on the highway. And, yeah, great stuff. I think it's a really, really good soundtrack. As you said, it has all the Toy Story favorites. There's even one of the songs that plays as they first go into the uh, antique shop is a song that was played in The Shining. I should have looked up the name of it, but if you hear it and you know The Shining, you'll know it. And it's like, that's like a nice little musical callback for people that have seen The Shining and know, like, associate music that's in The Shining with a sense of unease. So it's like something you wouldn't twig it because you're like, oh, it's an antique shop, so we don't know yet that it's a sinister place. Mm-hmm. But that would twig it for you if you knew that. I didn't. Yeah, but... it's like, like a, a nice little musical callback. And it's like, it's like a musical, like, schadenfreude going on in your brain. Okay, one last note here on the score. I don't know if you caught this. The part where Bonnie hides under the bed because she doesn't want to go to play school. The score has notes of when somebody loved me. And it's really well done because... It works perfectly in this new context, but it also mirrors Jesse under the bed in Toy Story 2. And to add to that, Woody looking on in a similar situation to Jesse then adds another layer of meaning. Yeah, it's good. It's good stuff. It's a good movie. It's a good movie. Like, we mentioned this for Toy Story 3, and it bears repeating. It's like, this franchise has no right still being as good as it is Oh, like nearly 20 years later on its fourth movie. Like, it has no right to be as good as it is over 20 years later, even. Because, like, even films that have produced good sequels, nearly every time they go back to the well for a third or a fourth, there's always diminishing returns. But, like, I, I think taken as a whole, this is just a stunning body of work and each one is maybe not better than the last, but at least as valuable as the last. I really don't think and I can't even think of like good examples of series that have four movies but I don't think there's a series that has four movies that is as good or as consistent as Toy Story. Like, I don't think it exists. I think it's the best four movie set of films ever. It's an exceptional series. There should not be the emotional depth. There should not be the warmth. There should not be the the humor. There should not be the joy in these characters for this long. These plastic characters. These plasticine characters. These these woolen characters, depending on who you are, and, and these porcelain characters. There should not be that kind of emotional depth here to get four movies out of it. Four movies about existential purpose here in our toys. <laughs> it's I, I genuinely didn't think I'd have the same connection in the fourth one, but and even then again today I find myself getting not teary but emotional at the end because it felt like saying goodbye again because I know we say goodbye in the third film but this is like almost like the final goodbye and I realized they might make a fifth one who knows I feel like the fifth one can't be a Woody movie. No, it has to be something different. Uh, It's a Buzz movie. It it would have to be a Buzz movie. But I feel like the the fifth one, and I guess technically Lightyear is Toy Story Zero, technically. (laughs) But I don't think they can make another Woody movie. Like, if they do make another Toy Story, I don't think they can just, like, go back to Woody and Bo Peep, like, uh, some kind of road movie. It would have to be Buzz and Co. And, like, Buzz finding that, like, final purpose and doing something interesting with Buzz for the first time since Toy Story. No, I agree. I I don't think you can retrade that ground because they closed Woody's story off I'm going to say it this time I know we said Toy Story 3 and everything was tied up really nicely and this film has added to that I I do think Woody's story is over now I don't think we can go back again I think this is better than Toy Story 3 Yeah, I think that's my hot take I prefer this film to Toy Story 3 it does plumb a lot more emotional depths and I think it's funnier 
because I think the emotion builds more throughout the film where it's really just the end of the third one where we it hits you in the gut. Yeah, you have that moment of defiance in the incinerator and then you have the lovely moment where Andy is playing with the toys with Bonnie and introducing him to all the toys and the characters that he has created over his 18 years of life. And that is a lovely moment. But... Yeah, I think this film is better than Toy Story 3. And I like, there will be people who are like, oh, it's perfect, don't make another one. It's like, nah, keep making them. And even if the other ones are bad, you still got these ones. And if you can keep doing it, I'll keep watching it. In terms of the legacy, we'll move through this quickly, Gar. At the 92nd Academy Awards, it was nominated for Best Original Song and won Best Animated Feature, making it the first franchise to win the award twice. As we said, Toy Story has the most installments of any Pixar franchise to date. And the most good ones, too. Exactly. It's the fourth Pixar film to make over a billion dollars at the box office. Toy Story 4 also marks the final film appearance of Carl Reiner, who played a rhinoceros in Bonnie's Room, who died after the film's release. Pixar have stated their desire to return to making original films for the next while, but naturally talk persists on a fifth Toy Story film, while a spin-off, Lightyear, is due for release in June 2022. Which for some reason, for the longest time, I thought was a live-action movie. We mentioned this. It's not. I thought so too. Don't know why I had that in my mind. One last note here, Garrett. Uh, a fun one. In September 2020, Evil Knievel's son Kelly and K&K Promotions sued both Disney and Pixar over the character Duke Kaboom. Totally so- different character. No idea what they're talking about. Saying that his father's likeness was used for the character without permission. He's Canadian. What are you talking about? Yeah, completely different. Did they win? Or is it still ongoing? Probably still ongoing, I would say. Ah, well... Because there's actually fewer licensed toys in this movie, isn't there? Yeah. Is is Giggles based on anything? Probably like a Polly Pocket, but not official. And so, oh yeah, yeah, because it, it's based on Polly Pocket, but they didn't license it. So I wonder if Polly Pocket going to sue them. Because yeah, it's interesting that they did license a bunch of toys, and like Barbies are still in this very, very briefly at the start. So they, they did use the Barbie license and a bunch of the other toys, like Potato Head is a licensed toy. Um... But a bunch of the others aren't. And it's it's interesting that they did come up with original toys for this. Yeah, I think it's better though, because sometimes you can't see beyond the, the marketing when you see licensed toys. Yeah, and even, like we did talk about, was there like weird things in Toy Story Theory about whether or not the Barbie could be depicted in like negative circumstances and they have to dance around that. So maybe that's the reason they didn't. I don't think that story's ever been reported, but if you watch that movie, it does very much feel like Barbie is untouchable. You cannot present Barbie in less than pristine circumstances. In fairness, her only appearance in this film is in a heroic sequence. So. Yeah, doing backflips. <laughs> yeah. But, yeah. yeah, you get all the, the the new toys. And like there's even, as you said, there's stand-ins where like Polly Pocket is giggling with dimples. Uh, there's a bunch of action men adjacent toys that are hanging out with Bo Peep as well. I'd say they're more G.I. Joe. Fair enough. Who's the greatest hero of them all then? But yeah, as, and like again, I really can't go another movie without mentioning Tom Hanks. Whose Woody is like the heart and soul of these movies. That Tom Hanks voice performance is so good. And it's not super flashy. It's not like it's like I am acting. But he's just there's a warmth and a, a like stoicism and a sense of leadership to Tom Hanks Woody. Which isn't quite Tom Hanks. It's not just Tom Hanks doing Tom Hanks. Like, there's a softness to his Woody that's not in his, like, regular speaking voice. And it's a tremendous performance. It's so good. You almost get the sense that he's performing it as if he's performing it for the last time. Because Woody says goodbye, but he's also saying goodbye. And those Mm. two things, maybe I'm just connecting those things in my head, but it feels like it matches up. Like, Tom Hanks isn't a young man. He's 65. There's only so many more to Woody runs in Tom Hanks. Like, and you you could never have another Woody. It's one of those things. It's just like, there is that warmth. There is that innate Tom Hanks warmth warmth that he he lends to Woody that you will just not find elsewhere. It's a thing I'm kind of worried about about Lightyear and that like Tim Allen for all we 
talk about like Buzz has been sidelined for three movies now. Tim Allen's Buzz is still great. Like Tim Allen, very good. But we're getting Chris Evans as Buzz in this movie, so. Yeah, but uh, technically it's a different character, so we'll have to see. Yeah, but I want the Buzz voice. All right, Pixar pals, resident Magic by Design singer Nicole is back this week with a tune that we've been waiting for for a very long time. She's made you wait four movies for it. But first, we need to tidy up our toys. New episodes of Magic by Design land every Monday where all magical podcasts are downloaded. Stop by our website at magicbydesign.buzzsprout.com to find a full list of podcast platforms. We are literally everywhere. Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Amazon Music, YouTube, you name it, we're on it. Make sure to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts so you never miss an episode. The fun times never stop on social media. You can follow us on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash magic by design pod on Twitter at magic design pod and on Insta at magic by design pod. There's a bunch of people in this movie who have like one line. Like Mr. Pringlepants is only in it for like two seconds. So Timothy Dalton just came into the studio. It's like, I would prefer to be the king of hats. I don't like being a baker. And then he's done. Maybe he just sent it in like via voice note or something like that. (laughs) And obviously Mr. Potato Head doesn't talk at all because Don Rickles had died at that point. No, he does have lines in this, doesn't he? He does, but they're very quick. So I think it's a a mimic or or maybe archive footage. One of those things, yeah, where they use archive footage because he does have a, a couple of lines. If you're a fan of the show and want to do us a kindness, please do consider giving us a review on your podcast platform of choice. Every little helps, so if you want to spread the love even further, you can also share the podcast on your socials or even recommend the show to a fellow Disney disciple. If you give us a five-star review, we will send you your very own forky. Well, actually, it's just a dirty spork, parts sold separately. That can hate his soup with. Join us next week for an episode about Pixar's 22nd animated feature, Onward. So be sure to look out for that in your podcast feeds. But until then, stay safe and remember, being there for a child is the most noble thing a toy, or in fact anyone, can do. Unless you think you're gaslighting the child like Ken does say about Gabby Gabby. I don't know. She, she became good too quickly, Gar. I'm suspicious. Now then, we've covered all four Toy Story movies to date, and yet we've never been treated to Nicole's take on this iconic song. Fear not, because she's here to cap off this week's show with a cover of You've Got a Friend in Me from Toy Story. Still make you cry. Like, there's a montage at the start of this film, which is the same as has been in all of these movies, which is just You've Got a Friend in Me and a montage of both Andy and Bonnie playing with all the toys. And God, it's, if they release that as like a short film just that two minutes said to the you've you've got a friend in me it would probably win like best animated short at the oscars yeah it's a very powerful song and welcome to 10 minutes ago when i had that take care uh yeah well whatever still it's a great song thanks for listening and see you next week you've got a friend in me you've got a friend in me when the road looks Rub ahead and you're miles and miles from your nice warm bed You just remember what your old pal said Boy, you've got a friend in me Yeah, you've got a friend in me You've got a friend in me You've got a friend in me you got troubles, I got them too There isn't anything I wouldn't do for you We stick together and see it through Cause you've got a friend in me You've got a friend in me 
Some other folks might be a little bit smarter than I am Bigger and stronger too Maybe but none of them will ever love you the way I do It's me and you, boy And as the years go by Friendship will never die Gonna see it's our destiny You've got a friend in me You've got a friend in me You've got a friend in me, got a friend in me. 